The song we just sang is taken from Matthew chapter 25 in the first lesson there of the three lessons about the ten virgins. I hope you read it last evening. Who shut the door? The bridegroom shuts the door, and no one gets in after that door is shut. Those that clamored at the door, the foolish virgins, I never knew you. Same language as Matthew chapter 7 that he'll say to the wicked in that day. When the foolish virgins wanted the wise virgins to share some of their oil, would they? No, because there might not be enough for them. It's all contained in the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth. That's how Jesus preached. I like every bit of the way he preached. And we should all like it. It's not politically correct, but it's perfect. The next lesson was the parable of the talents. The man with one talent, it was taken from him and given to the man with ten. In Luke 19, when it's given with pounds, like British pound sterling, it's the, 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 the crowd says, Lord, but he's already got ten. Let him have eleven. That's the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take away that talent from him. Take away that pound that I gave him that he didn't get any return on. Now that sounds like a child of God, but it's not. Because there isn't any grace given to those. But they didn't even use what they could have. Because if you will read all the gospel accounts of taking the one away, it says that to the whom much is given, more shall be given. To whom much earns much shall be given more. And to him that didn't earn anything shall be taken away even that he thought he had. And so that was serious. He shall be thrown out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The terror of the judgment of God in that second one. First one, I never knew you. Second one, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Third, ye cursed in everlasting fire. They didn't know why they were being sent to everlasting fire. So Jesus explained it to them. You didn't like my family. The righteous didn't know why they were going to heaven. Jesus explained it to them. You liked my family and took care of them. And when you did it to the least of them, you did it to me. One thing I want to say to you, whatever you do for anyone, do it as if it were the Lord himself. If they're at your house, what can you get in the way of thread count sheets or a refrigerator in their room or a bowl on their in their bathroom with their favorite candies. Just what can you do that you would do for the Lord? If it was the Lord Jesus Christ coming to your house, would you, would you spend? Would you think creatively? Would you want it to be just right? Let's do it as unto the Lord, because he said, you did it to me. The righteous said, we never did that to you. He said, you did it to me when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. If we're going out to eat, or if you're doing something for someone at your house, a meal, to throw yourself into them emotionally, financially, time-wise, as if it were the Lord himself, then it's a gift to him and it's a sacrifice to him, and you will be the recipient of the blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive, especially when you give that way. It is It's fun. You say, how can it be fun to do the things that are necessary to prove eternal life? By the grace of God, that's how. We are all in the back seat of a limo on our way to heaven, 
after having been bought out of the orphanage of this world by the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in the back seat, and we need to change. He's changed our natures. We need to put it into practice toward each other and love the other little rascals in the back seat that are going along with us to heaven. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, loving them. And so you got to be creative and think about each other and what you might be able to do to show them some brotherly kindness and love. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. Let's leave Matthew 25 and come over to Colossians 3. We'll make a little bit of progress and we'll quit. We're not going to be able to cover this. I told you when I started it wasn't going to be exhaustive. The outline's more exhaustive, but not our covering of it. Colossians chapter 3. Now, brethren, I have mentioned many things, and sometimes they're listed, and sometimes they're not. And I appreciated some feedback at break time about Romans chapter 8 and the first verse. Remember what I said in the first service? Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. We love those words. Those words are powerful and precious to us. Yet, how do we know that we're in Christ Jesus where there is no condemnation? By the second half of the verse. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So you can't claim Romans 8.1a unless you're fulfilling Romans 8.1b. That is what we believe in our church. When somebody says to you, if we were to believe... Or if I was to believe what you believe in your church, I could live any way I want to and go to heaven. Are you hearing that? You're not hearing that in this church. Not at all. You're hearing that in your church, fellow Arminian that's talking that way to me. In your church, all you have to do is make a little decision for Jesus and you can go to heaven no matter how you live. Don't try to call us our kettle black when you're the, you're the black pot. You're the one messed up. We do want to keep those things straight. Now see, when it says who walk after the flesh and not after the spirit, or after the spirit, not after the flesh, what are the works of the flesh? Where do you go? Is there a list in the Bible? There is. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is a list of those things that if you're living those and they are a part of your life, you don't have the right to claim the first half of Romans 8, 1. And in the same place, but a couple verses later, we have the fruit of the spirit. They're both together. Galatians 5, 19, all the way through 23 are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and you can fulfill Romans 8, 1. Now, Peter just put it all together. He said, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, godliness, patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity, and if you do these things, you shall never fall. So it's all right in one place, 2 Peter chapter 1. Paul did that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 4. I've quoted these to you so many times. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And how did Paul know they were elect of God? For their labor of love, work of faith, and patience of hope. Their hope in Christ was so powerful that it caused them to cheerfully endure negative events. Their love of the brethren was so great that it resulted in labor for one another. Like Dorcas and Tabitha, her name was also Tabitha, did for the widows in that church. And the work of faith. It's just not the concept or the belief of faith, but the work of faith, because faith without works is dead. Paul would put it together in Galatians chapter 5 and say, faith which worketh by love. I like that one. That's short. Faith that worketh by love. I want to give you another one. What could your boss do tomorrow 
to really make you happy. Give you a bonus. What's an R word that you would call that or he might call it? A reward. Colossians chapter 3. It is a pleasure to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you should look at the pleasure side of it all the time in light of what I'm preaching to you on this subject of hell. Look at these four verses. Let me start at 22. Servants. Now, that's not a very lofty position in life. But as long... It, you know, if I could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and say that if you're a servant of a man on earth, what are you of Christ? I need an F word. You're a free man. And so the apostle taught in 1 Corinthians 7, you're the Lord's freeman. Who cares what you are on earth? But anyway, back to Colossians 3.22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God doesn't care who you are as an employee. This is the way you should work, and you should do it as unto the Lord. Singleness of heart means you have one motive. The glory of God on the job. And you know what? Heaven is your reward. Heaven is your reward. There's a tendency to work and to so design your working because you want to get a promotion or a bonus or higher pay, an increase. And that should not be your primary goal. Your primary goal should, I want to do this job as unto the Lord. Like I described, having someone to your house, keeping someone overnight, taking someone out to eat, it should be as unto the Lord. And if you do it as unto the Lord, He's going to give you the reward of the inheritance. It's somewhat bigger than a bonus you could get tomorrow on the job. Oh, please. Let's just remember this passage. The whole Bible is structured this way. Is heaven really a reward for the way I work on the job tomorrow? Depends how you're looking at it. If we're looking at it the way the Bible is written to us, it is. Because the Lord's looking for us to work this way, and he'll give us the reward of the inheritance. Has God given us eternal life and our eternal inheritance by his pure mercy through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. From God's standpoint, it's pure grace. From our standpoint, this is one of the things we can do to serve the Lord Christ is work hard on the job and do it heartily as unto him. And then work becomes, work is fun. Everything I just said applies to every woman in here, every mother, every wife. I owned a restaurant. I know what a sink full of dishes looks like that was probably bigger and worse than yours. I had meals to prepare. He said, but you got paid for it. You didn't hear what I just said, did you? The reward of the inheritance is waiting for good mothers and good wives. Everything we do as unto the Lord. Everything we do as unto the Lord. Okay, Mark 16, 16. We made it to Mark 9. Let's look at some other warnings in the Bible about hell and about going there and about spending eternity in torment. I have sent you three links, a four-minute sermonette about a changed life. 
that gets eternal life. I've sent you a 27-minute sermon by an independent Baptist in Knoxville, Tennessee on hell fire from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, and I sent you 48 minutes of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. All three of them are good. All three of them are provoking. All three of them should make you think about the wrath and fury of God. And so as I go through some verses rather quickly, I am not going to try to be dramatic. They did a fine enough job for me. I did enough of that last week, but I want to lay some warnings on you and for our children to know that the Bible has a lot to say about hell. And Jesus had more to say about hell than any other preacher and, and writer in the New Testament. Right. We had Mark 9, do you remember? Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, and the fire is not quenched, and the fire is not quenched. Do you think that I'm being foolishly repetitive? If you think I am, then you must think the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit never is. Right, right. That warning is put there for all of us. Mark 16 and verse 16, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection, just before he ascended into heaven. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That word is appropriate, damned, under damnation, under God's judgment, going to hell. Mark 16, 16. You say, I, I, I don't believe that it, it, it means hell. I think that means the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Why do you believe that? Because in verse 15, Jesus said, Go and preach this gospel to every creature throughout the whole world. He wasn't talking to something Jewish. He was speaking of the whole world and where the gospel was to go to every man. Gentiles didn't have to be afraid of 70 A.D. at all, except they could get rid of that byword people in the earth called the Jews. It would be a blessing for God to eliminate them from the earth because they were a problem and had always been a problem. And the Bible tells us that they were a byword and a proverb in the earth as problem people. Jesus came through them and once he was done coming through them, he was done with them as a nation. As a nation. But notice what it says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? From this vantage point, it is one of the evidences of salvation. And rejecting the gospel is an evidence of damnation. And so from our vantage point, we want to believe the gospel. And we want to be baptized. And we want to obey. And we want to go to work tomorrow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ with a single heart, fervently and heartily, as unto Him. Because we'll receive the reward of the inheritance. There shouldn't be a problem in your minds looking at these verses the right way. He that believeth and is baptized sincerely and follows that faith and baptism up with good works shall be saved. The things that I just added to the words are necessary to be added to the words because of the rest of what the New Testament says. We don't have to play with the verse and make it something very different than what it obviously is referring to. Jesus didn't, did he? He said, cut off your right hand. Now, if I cut off my right hand, or if I throw away my television, does that guarantee that I'm going to heaven? No, but it's evidence that I'm going to heaven. And it's one of the things that a person going to heaven would want to do because they want to get everything out of their life that offends, that offends God. Luke 16, Luke 16, and we'll go to verse 9. We're not going to go to the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to go to verse 9. This is the parable of the unjust steward. 
A steward is a treasurer. He was responsible for the accounts receivable and accounts payable, assets and debts of a certain rich man. And I can't repeat it. You read it last Lord's Day and the night before. Luke 16, 9, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Luke 16, 9 is one of the more obscure verses in the New Testament, but it is referring to this parable. Because this unjust steward had a warning that he was going to be fired. He was having an accounting. He was being audited by his rich master. And because he knew that he was about to lose his job, he went to creditors, reduced their debts. He went to debtors and reduced their debts in order for them to take him into their hire once he got fired by this rich man. Jesus, this is the transitional verse. The reason Jesus gave this parable, and when it says in verse 8, the Lord commended the unjust steward, the unjust steward is only to be commended not for his theft by reducing their debts in order to get himself a job. He's to be commended for thinking about his future and making necessary steps to have a good future. That's all Jesus is pulling out of it. Otherwise, we end up with a very contradictory thing that if you can go tomorrow and steal from your master to make sure that you have a better employment down the road with someone else, you ought to do it. And that is not what it's teaching. It's teaching to prepare for the future, and the future is the future that we're talking about. And that is every day we can make to ourselves, and this is using the language of the parable, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. No, don't get out and get friendly with money and think that's going to help you into heaven. It means to go do whatever you need to to take precautions for that day. What can you make friends with? I just gave you one. Colossians 3. Go do the best job tomorrow that you can on the job for your employer. That's making friends with the mammon of unrighteousness in the sense of this parable. Because you're going to fail. You know what? One thing I can tell you about, you're going to fail, you're going to die, and you're going to face God, and you can prepare for that time like this man prepared to face a ruler that was going to fire him, a rich man that was going to fire him. That's Luke 16, 9. Look at John 3 and verse 36. We are still in the Gospels of Jesus Christ and still using his words about the trouble that is coming. The judgment that is coming. The day of judgment. The last verse of John chapter 3. And what a verse it is. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If there's one thing we've learned from the Gospel of John, not everyone that believes on Jesus Christ has everlasting life. So I just contradicted the first clause of this verse. So how do we reconcile it so that I'm not contradicting the Bible? He that believeth on the Son, sincerely, honestly, scripturally, with fruits, with evidence, with a born-again nature. That's what we've got to believe from the rest of what the Scripture says, because there's examples in this gospel of men believing that weren't saved. So this is real belief, sincere belief, and it's only going that far, because we know that faith without works is dead. Right? So is this saying, dead faith will get you to heaven? An everlasting life? No, it's assuming that. It's assuming that you're going to have works. I can't take any more time explaining that. You should know that by now. All these things you should know. 
because of what the rest of the Bible teaches. Sometimes I will explain it, but we need to move on so that we can benefit from this verse and others. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He's in possession of everlasting life when a man truly and sincerely believes on Jesus Christ. And he that believeth not the Son of shall not see life. He'll never have part of everlasting life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You are in possession of eternal life, or the wrath of God is abiding on you. I am talking about the wrath of God. You have never met anyone angry compared to God being angry. When God's anger would be kindled against Moses, Moses doesn't get to go to Canaan. I think Moses should have got to go to Canaan. I'm speaking for your flesh. But he didn't get to go to Canaan. When God's anger was kindled a little bit against Israel, what would happen? The plague would burst out on them, and they would die on the spot. Fire would fall from heaven. The earth would open its mouth. Fiery serpents would appear and bite many, and they would die when his anger was kindled a little. This is the wrath of God abiding on men. It is just sitting there waiting to burst into flames. It's abiding on them. God's wrath is pointed towards sinful men. It's directed to them. It's only held back by the mere pleasure of his will. Amen. Look at that verse. He that believeth on the Son. So what is the first thing we do? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If your children say to you, I don't want to go to hell. What should I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and give them this verse. You say, but the verse you gave us before, Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized will tell them they're going to have to wait until they're 18. Then they can fulfill number two. If they're willing to be baptized at the age of eight, but their pastor won't baptize them then, they've done everything that they need to do for the assurance of eternal life. That should be obvious to everyone. And, but then there's a whole lot more after being baptized. And that is to go out and work tomorrow on the job and do everything else the Lord wants us to do by adding to our faith virtue, knowledge, godliness, patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Do you know how much time we could spend in the wrath of God? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He knows you better than you know you. He knows your torments, fears, apprehensions better than you do. He can turn you inside out. He can bring temptations in your life to turn your world upside down. And you don't know anything yet compared to what he will do to those in hell. He is unbelievable because he is the creator of heaven and earth, and he created each of us. He knows our minds, souls, tendencies, weaknesses, faults. He knows everything about us. The wrath of God abideth on him. Think about the threefold death that came on about a hundred billion souls for Adam's sin. Is that a lot of wrath? For eating a piece of fruit? God said, don't eat it. Amen. And when God says any one of his commandments to us and we don't do them, there is wrath waiting to fall on us. Yes, his wrath falls on his children sometimes. This is not wrath on his children. This is wrath on the reprobates, those that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. A hundred billion souls to three deaths for one little sin, that's wrath. He drowned the earth with a global flood in Noah's day. 
Do you know the Bible says that even Jews were willingly ignorant of that day? They didn't really want to think about it in the way that sometimes I have tried to help you think about it. What is that, Pastor? That's a waterlogged baby bouncing up against the side of the ark. Right. If you don't like it, there's 300 Baptist churches in Greenville that'll never preach it. I'm going to preach it. Amen. And we are not going to be willingly ignorant of that day so that we don't believe another day is coming with fire instead of water. There's a rainbow in the sky to tell us after heavy rain that he's never going to drown the whole earth again with water. He's going to burn the whole earth up with fire. And in 2 Peter 3, when he talks about burning the earth up with fire, is where he said, this has all happened before, and the Jews are willingly ignorant of it. Well, we're not going to be willingly ignorant of it. God didn't care one bit, one bit what age you were or how long it took you to suffocate to death in the waters of the flood. And he made sure that you got to think about it from the first drop on. Rain had never fallen on earth. The first drop, splat, on your windshield. There weren't any windshield wipers back then because there had never been any rain. You understand? Splat on your windshield for the first time. And you got to think about it. All of a sudden, what Noah had said came back to memory that God was going to destroy the earth for its wickedness. So as the water started to rise, because you had never seen rain before, and it was kind of scary, the mist coming out of the earth had, had watered the earth until that time. You drove over to the ark. But the door is closed because our God had closed the church in and had saved them in the ark. And so for days, as that water rose, you got to think about drowning. See, it's better when you get to think about it because then it's terrifying. You know, if all of a sudden your life is just snuffed out and you don't get to draw in a breath, you're gone in 30 seconds or so. If you hadn't taken a deep breath, it doesn't take very long. But you got to think about it. Are you, are you with me? There's wrath. It abides on the wicked. He did that. And he says very plainly that everything that drew a breath was drowned in the flood, suffocated. He hasn't changed one whit except the next time it's going to be fire. And he's going to melt the universe as we know it. And everything's going to burn with fervent heat and melt. As we read about in 2 Peter chapter 3, the suffocation and oxygen starvation of drowning is a very horrible way to die. Little babies drown in the flood. Young married couples, retirees, the handicapped, precious little girls, widows, Sunday school teachers, and kind nurses. It didn't matter. The wrath of God abideth on them. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Look what happened to the rich man. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what race you're of. It doesn't matter your economic ability. It doesn't matter your intelligence. The wrath of God abides on them. Think about Sodom. Brimstone on that city and burned it up. God didn't care about the three daughters of Mrs. Lot. Are you kidding me? 
He burned them all up. He's going to burn them all up in a day that's coming soon. How about the Canaanites? Look at the seven nations of Canaan. We're, we're annihilated by the Israelites. Man, woman, and child suckling. It didn't matter what age. He said, spare none. Do not show them any mercy. It's the Lord of heaven. And he said, if you don't do it, the earth itself will vomit them out. They're so wicked. But you know what? Their wickedness wasn't much worse than America's today. And especially some of the cities in America. How about the Egyptians? Look at the ten plagues he poured out upon them. Look at killing their firstborn. Their prized children. This is the wrath of God. And the wrath of God could be dealt with for hours because the Bible is not afraid to tell us about the wrath of God. So I started this service off with Romans 9. What if God willing to show his wrath? Amen. He is willing. Amen. Don't you let somebody tell you from 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. He is willing that every single one of the reprobates should perish. He, is, he shows mercy toward usward that not any of us should perish but should come to repentance. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? They are vessels of wrath. They were made from the, from the clay of Adam to be objects of his wrath. And others are objects of his mercy. And I've preached all that before. Right now we're at John 3:36. The person that does not believe on the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall not see life. He'll never get near everlasting life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's sitting there waiting to burst forth and send him down to the lowest hell. How about Korah for speaking against Moses? The earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Nathan, Dahan, Abiram, burned them, swallowed them, families, assets, animals, didn't matter. Disobedient Israel, how many times did God punish them? Disobeying parents brought capital punishment in God's opinion. God is the one that wrote verses like the eagle of the valley plucking out the eyeballs of dishonoring children. He brought judgment so great that delicate women, very few women are delicate like the woman described in Deuteronomy chapter 28, would eat her children and eat her children in secret so she wouldn't have to share the meat with anyone else, including her own family. The Bible says it all. All those details I just gave you. He cannot by any means clear or acquit the wicked. This is what the Bible teaches us about the wrath of God and so much more could be taught. Look at the emeralds that he sent on the Philistines, the mice that were running through their cities because they had his Ark of the Covenant and they stuck that Ark of the Covenant before Dagon. He tore that nation to pieces, 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, and it's recorded for us in the Word of God. On and on the Bible goes. 185,000 soldiers in one night. Commandment so bad, God led Israel to sacrifice their own children to Molech. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 25 and 26, I've shown you before, this is the wrath of God. And yet, it's not the full wrath of God that's going to come in the great day of judgment. So let's go to John chapter 5 and have the Lord Jesus Christ in the red writing tell us more. John chapter 5. Verse 28, marvel not at this. Jesus speaking about his resurrection power from verse 25 when it's his voice that would give life to the dead. Marvel not at this. I'm at verse 28. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil 
unto the resurrection of damnation. Oh, now we know what the damnation is over there in Mark 16, 16. And he that believeth not shall be damned. Here we have it. This is the damnation after the resurrection. That's damnation to the eternal torment of the lake of fire. There's going to be one resurrection. All bodies are going to come out of the ground, be reunited with their spirits, and that combined soul of spirit and body of the elect will go to heaven, and the combined body and spirit of the reprobates will go to hell, so that they can suffer torment in all parts of their being. Notice what it says. Who, go, who gets resurrected to the resurrection of life? Those that God gave good to, or those that did good? So, can a person that wants to live a compromising, carnal, worldly, selfish life lay claim that they are elect and are going to be part of the resurrection of life? No. Only if they have done good in their life. Because that's what it says. And that is how it always says it. There is not any place in the Bible for you to presume on eternal life for any reason but you have lived a righteous, virtuous, good life. That is not how we earn heaven, but that is the evidence of the change that should take place because of God's grace in our life. And if we don't preach the full balance, we will be fatalists or humanists. There is no other option than to preach it just the way the Bible teaches. God does all the saving, but we cannot believe or lay hold of or, or claim that salvation for ourselves without a changed life that brings out fruitfulness. And so we have the perfect balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And here it is again in the simple one word, good. They that have done good. What kind of good? Colossians 3, working hard in the job tomorrow. What kind of good? Controlling your speech so you don't call people names. Matthew chapter 5. What kind of good? The eight things in 2 Peter chapter 1. What kind of good? Loving the least of these, my brethren, and Getting them a meal, giving them some clothes, giving them a few bucks. Everything we've said before, there it is. Mm -hmm. But the point is, the point that we want is the last word of verse 29. It's the resurrection of damnation. How exciting to have your body put back together after it has dissolved and corrupted in the earth, been eaten by earthworms, by robins and so forth, and then to have it all put together to come back up. Oh, I'm getting my body back to be sent to hell. That's the resurrection of damnation. That is not a very good resurrection. We want the resurrection of life where our bodies are put back together and our spirits put back in them and we go to spend the eternity with the Lord as a whole soul, body and spirit. You don't need Acts 24, 25. That's when Paul reasoned with Felix about judgment to come. How about Romans chapter 1? Let's jump from the Lord Jesus Christ now to the Apostle Paul. We had Luke in the middle in the book of Acts. Oh, yes. When Paul was on Mars Hill with the Greek philosophers, what did he preach? He preached that God hath appointed a day in the which he's going to send Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, to judge those Greek philosophers. Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed. How does God reveal his wrath? By creation, by providence, by conscience, and by scripture. He reveals his wrath all four ways. The truth that they hold in verse 18 is not the truth of the gospel, it's the truth of creation. Because it goes on to explain it in the next verse. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Natural man knows that there is a God that gets angry at sin by creation. His eternal power. He has more power than just hurting you for a minute. He has eternal power. And he has a Godhead. His providence is included in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Thankful for what? All the kind and good things that God did to them during their lives. So you have the providence of God in verse 21. Can I prove to you about their conscience? Because it says in verse 13 of chapter 2, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, these are poor Gentiles that never got a word of Scripture like the Jews did, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. And then Scripture tells us that God's going to judge in the first four verses of chapter 3. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And those oracles of God go on to describe God's judgment. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven by creation, by providence, by conscience, by scripture. It's out there, and men know it. But they do not want to submit themselves to God, and so they make a God to their liking. They reject him, and they worship the creature more than the creator. And so they're further blinded from that, and God rewires them, as is stated four times in succession, in verses Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 28, four times, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's the wrath of God. Every time you read about what they're doing now, and you take a foolish second or two, to imagine it, what they do now, don't make me, I'm capable. What they do now, men with men working that which is unseemly, it's the wrath of God, and it's just getting started. He's rewired them to do things which are not convenient, and then he's going to send them to hell because they're going after strange flesh. And do you know what he did after the first city that went after strange flesh? Its name was Sodom. That's right. And that's why they're called Sodomites. Yes. And he burned that city up and its sister city and the other cities of the plain. Romans chapter 1 teaches all that. Look at Romans 14 about where it comes from. Romans 14. Romans 14, as soon as I say it, if you read your Bibles, you don't have to read a lot. But if you read your Bibles, you'll know that's the Christian Liberty chapter. But in the middle of the Christian Liberty chapter, there's a warning about us not to get bent out of shape about the little things God doesn't care about, 
because we ought to be bent out of shape about the things God does care about because we're going to have to give an account for those things, not the things He doesn't care about. Romans 14, verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord. Now who do you think is going to get out of the judgment seat of Christ when God says, as I live? If there is one verity in the universe, if there is one certainty in the universe, it is, I am. From Jehovah, saying it. It is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that we don't put a stumbling block in front of them. And if you're thinking about the least of of my brethren, you would never want to put a stumbling block in front of the least of Jesus Christ's brethren, because then you're putting a stumbling block in front of him. And so the warning right here in the middle, in the middle of Christian liberty, come on, Paul. Couldn't you wait for a chapter like Romans 9 and get it all off your chest about the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account of our lives? Nope, right here in the middle of Christian liberty. There it is. It's coming. We're going to give an account. Oh, it's okay. It's okay if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, been baptized in His name, and are living a righteous life each day, looking for His appearing, loving the brethren. Jesus Christ is going to stand up for you in that day and say, I died for this man, Father. His name is here, right here in the book of life. I paid for every one of those sins. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul wrote nearly identical words to the church at Corinth. That was the church at Rome. This is the church at Corinth. The words were written to the Corinthians as well. And notice how Paul himself puts himself in here. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Wherefore we labor... That's Paul and his ministerial associates. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, including Paul, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil. We won't receive the punishment of those things. We'll receive the recognition and identification of them that we committed them. If you want to know more on this subject, it is called the Judgment Seat of Christ. It is a sermon on the website. We'll not receive the punishment for them. We will receive the fact that we did them. The things that we did in our bodies. According to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. And that's where the good things are going to be remembered as well. That we did that are good. Feeding the hungry. When they were the least of these my brethren. Let me, let me throw this out. People get very confused. Oh, people get confused. Giving to UNICEF doesn't get you into Matthew 25. I'm sorry. Toys for Tots in Greenville doesn't get you into Matthew 25. Building houses for humanity doesn't get you into Matthew 25. Not even close. Not even close. It's got to be the least of these, my brethren. You've got to know that they're the brothers of Jesus Christ and they're the least. That's all. Jesus is very particular. I like the way he's particular. So in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, when you have a feast, 
Don't invite your kinsmen. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your neighbors. Invite the halt, the lame, the weak, and the blind. Because they cannot reward you. But I will reward you in the resurrection. You say, that's, that's easy. And, and remember that F word that I used? Fun! It's fun to actually do something God's way. And there's Paul. So he says in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. You Corinthians should recognize the way that we live. We are truly the children of God, and we are living faithful lives in agreement with what we're teaching. And you can see that our lives are totally sacrificial for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because we know the terror of the Lord, and it shows in our lives. We all should show the terror of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord all at once by the way that we live. That's 2 Corinthians 5. If you put cross-references in your Bible, I hope you've got one there to take you back to Romans 14. And in Romans 14, it can take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Does the Bible say that false teachers through covetousness and feigned words shall make merchandise of you? Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's coming. Did God say? Did Peter write? For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, that he's able to do the same thing to us. That same darkness is mentioned here in 2 Peter. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Right. Don't try to reconcile symbolic language. Don't try to reconcile a lake, which you can only understand as liquid water, with fire and with darkness, because fire typically makes light. But you just combine these metaphors in the way that God intends them to be combined. And that is lake, being cast into a lake, results in drowning. Being cast into a lake of fire results in burning. Being cast into the mist of blackness, of darkness forever, is loneliness. And helplessness. Because you can't even see. When you are in a totally dark room without even a glimmer of light, are you capable of stumbling over anything? Are you afraid of walking into anything in that room because you get disoriented very quickly? It's all contained in these words in the Bible. I want you to know something about darkness. There's different levels of darkness, and there's thick darkness described in the Bible, and there is darkness described in the Bible that can be felt. And you should go read some of those passages about thick darkness that can be felt. Darkness is frightening already for many people, but God can make it extra special. And then you ought to go to Job chapter 4 and verses 12 through 16. You ought to go to Job chapter 4 and pretend that you're in that mist of blackness, of darkness forever and a spirit passes by in front of you, and the hairs on your body stand up. It is all described, Job 4, 12 through 16. 
a lake of fire, the mist of blackness of darkness forever, and you are in the place prepared for the devil and his angels, and when they get near you, the hairs on your body will stand up. How about the Roman Catholic Church and the great religious monstrosity that it spawned in this world and committed fornication with the kings of the earth? Look at Revelation 14. Revelation chapter 14. I'm going to leave the rest of this and some of the tables that I prepared for you with verses on the day of judgment, verses on the wrath of God, verses on examples of wrath of God, verses about the wrath of God, promises of the wrath of God. And that it is works and obedience that are the evidence in the New Testament of having everlasting life. The sermon that I preached was way back in 2010. And it was called Salvation by Works. And the purpose was to take verses and show how much is dependent upon a person obeying the commandments of God for the evidence of eternal life. To undo the corruption of Scripture of the Arminians that take a soundbite or two here or there about that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I absolutely believe that. But that is assuming that you are confessing with a true and sincere born-again heart and that you are confessing with an honest mouth with the power of the Holy Ghost. Because truly calling Jesus Lord requires Holy Ghost power. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And you've got to understand that when you read it. They don't want to understand anything about it. They just say, as long as you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you're on your way to heaven. And if we can write down the date, then all of us can be satisfied to preach a funeral with you in heaven when you die in 50 years after living like the devil. And that's how they do it. But see, the Bible doesn't give us that kind of uh, presumption on the grace of God. Romans, Revelation, excuse me, the book of Revelation. Let's just read about those that worship the beast. The beast is the, first the pagan Roman beast, then it is the papal Roman beast. The pagan beast received a mortal wound that looked like it was going to die, but it did not die. It came back in the Holy Roman Empire. The, Rome, the pagan Roman Empire died in 476 AD by the Visigoths. It came back to life in about 610 with decrees that the Bishop of Rome would be the head of the Holy Roman Empire, and for 1260 years it dominated the political affairs of Europe. And people submitted themselves to that system of religion and its sacraments and owed allegiance to the popes of Rome and everything else that they did and all their inventions and all. She is the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I can't preach all of this to you at one time, but listen what it says about those that worship the beast. Verse 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. These are the Holy Spirit's words. And he shall be tormented, individually considered, one person at a time, that worship the beast. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Wrath. Look at verse 10. Wrath. 
poured out without mixture. So how much dilution is there of God's wrath? None. In the cup of his indignation, God is angry. He has put up with that system of religion, defying him and defying his word. There is one father, religiously. And that is God our Father. Yet they call every one of their... Listen, I could go on forever and ever. It never ends what they have done. They are the mother of all abominations of the earth. They have offended God for 1,500 years. And His wrath is going to be poured out on them. And without dilution, the cup of His indignation... And each individual person shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The Lamb. When you think of a Lamb, you think of a helpless, weak creature that God made. But this is the Lamb with a capital L who is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And torment and smoke coming up before this Lamb is pleasing incense to Him. In the presence of the Lamb, they will be tormented. Those people that want to talk about separation from God, that is to water down the doctrine of hell. This is in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment shall ascend up forever and ever. They've made fun of the Lamb for 1,500 years. They've exalted Mary as their redemptrix. They pray ten Hail Marys to everyone our Father. Do you know who gets upset with that kind of proportion? If they had prayed ten Our Fathers to one Hail Mary, there might be a little bit of mercy. But there isn't any for the way they've gone about their pagan sick religion. Thank you, blessed God, for writing it so many times. Revelation 19. What will be the attitude of the righteous when the wicked are cast into hell? If you saw the little drawing that our little sister did that I attached to a recent update, you saw that those people standing in heaven were shouting, Alleluia. Let's see if the drawing was scriptural. Verse verse 1 of Revelation chapter 19, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Amen. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. This is the word of God. This describes heaven. It is appropriate. Do you know how many? We don't even know how many. Some estimates run as high as exceeding 50 million Christians lost their lives at the hand of the Roman Catholic Church during the Dark Ages. We don't know what the number was. Who kept track of them for us? But I can tell you that every single one was kept track of by their father and their brother, who is Almighty God and who is the Lamb. And every ounce of their blood will be reclaimed by by the judgment that He is going to pour out in fury upon them. 
verse 15. You've already heard it today from our young brother who presented Psalm 45. And what a wonderful love story it is. And I hope that you want to make his name to be known in all generations. I hope you like to talk about our king, our lord, our husband, our prince that rides majestically, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Have you ever seen a winepress in action with the women in there jumping and running around in the grapes and the juice is flying everywhere? Or have you ever seen it? He treadeth the grapes of wrath, God's wrath. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Did the Holy Spirit have to add the word fierceness? Doesn't the word wrath get the point across to us? He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and it is pouring out juice so fast through the bottom of that winepress into a cup called the cup of his indignation, and he's going to pour it on them, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 8. Revelation 21. Who gets saved from the lake of fire? And who goes to the lake of fire? You can say to me, if your name's in the book of life, you get to go to heaven, you don't go to the lake of fire. I ask you, how do you know if your name's in the book of life? I agree with you, the book of life, because it's verse 15 of the previous chapter, verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 15. But what about, how do you know that you're in the book of life? I'll tell you right now. It's in verses 7 and 8. Here's the great difference between men. Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Then you just be an overcomer. Don't let sin overcome you. Don't let your flesh overcome you. Don't let your lusts overcome you. Your enemies overcome you. You overcome them. Be an overcomer. Remember what Revelation chapters 2 and 3 does to seven churches of Asia? Every one of those seven churches gets the same message. Blessed is he that overcometh. I will do this for him. I will do that for him. I will do this for him seven times. Overcomers. We have the world to overcome. We have our flesh to overcome. It's overcomers. It's not those that are overcome. Because the next verse talks about those that are overcome. Verse 8, but the fearful, they're afraid because they don't have faith. And unbelieving and the abominable and murderers. What kind of murderers? Matthew 5, 22 murderers calling someone else a name. Let's just go with Jesus. Whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
See, there's no book of life here in Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. The book of life is in verse 15 of chapter 20. Here is a description of the character of those that go to heaven and those that go to hell. He that overcometh. What do you have right now in your life that is tending toward overcoming you? What do you need to be overcoming in? What do you need to change to be an overcomer? You can overcome. He's given you the power. There's a power that worketh in us. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, according to the power that worketh in us. You can do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can overcome. You have a bad boss. You have a tough husband. You have a difficult situation in life. Quit whining about it. Embrace it. Thank God for it. Because it could be much worse. And be an overcomer. Everything that I've said can be summed up in these words right here. Of being an overcomer. Because it's doing what God wants you to do in each circumstance of your life. And to an overcomer, I will be his God. He shall be my son, and he'll inherit all things. How do we get the inheritance as our reward? Going to work tomorrow, the Bible way, and being an overcomer. Treating your wife the right way the rest of this day, and then tomorrow, and being an overcomer. Not looking at that porn that you're tempted to look at. Not speaking, woman. The words that come out of your mouth. Being an overcomer. You can overcome your tongue by the power of Jesus Christ. It's overcomers. And see, the book of Revelation ends with overcomers, and it started with overcomers. And if you want to read a lot of wonderful blessings that Jesus Christ will give to overcomers, it's to go to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and they've been listed for you before, but if you want to just read them, they are special. Like, just one that's coming to mind, is the right to the tree of life. Do you know what would have happened in the Garden of Eden if Adam and Eve would have been content with the tree of life? Ladies, do you know what childbirth would have been like? Oh, how happy to give birth a different way. The tree of life. They could eat of the tree of life. They could eat freely of the tree of life. It's been long gone. God put a flaming cherub up at, that, at the entrance of that garden so that nobody from their family could get back in to get to that tree of life. But the tree of life is blooming in heaven, and if you're an overcomer, you have a right to the tree of life. How would you like that cherub to put his sword down, to put his head down, and do this? There's the tree of life. Go eat. That's exactly what Revelation tries to teach us is coming by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we know that we have a right to the tree of life? Be an overcomer. You say to me, but I know I'm going to sin. Then confess it and be an overcomer. First John tells us that if we say that we're without sin, we're lying and we don't know the truth. And if we say that we have not sinned, we're lying, we do not know the truth. But if any man do sin, chapter 2, verse 1, but if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we get restored immediately by confessing our sins and going on. That is being an overcomer. Because he's overcome it for us and we're overcoming it with him by our confession and repentance of our sins. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. 
And so ends the book of Ecclesiastes. And so ends this sermon. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.